We've been waiting for you. It's a new year. Come on in to Talk 10 Tuesday for January 10th, 2023 with Chuck Buck and Dr. Erica Reamer. Today, we welcome senior healthcare consultant Lydia Termar Carva to talk about mismatches, DRG mismatches. Stanley Nockinson has an update on important regulatory information from Washington. Lori Johnson delivers the latest coding news. Dr. John Zellum adds another entry in his journaling John M.D. Tim Powell is at the Tuesday News Desk, and Dr. Reamer presents her talkback segment. Now, here's the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, and after 15 rounds of voting, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, Chuck Buck. <laughs> Thank you, Clark Anthony. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 536 live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Good morning, Erica. <laughs> I don't even want to say who was the holdout. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone. And, Erica, I hope you had a very special holiday season with your family and your friends. Yes, it was quite lovely, Chuck. Thank you. I hope you and our listeners did as well. Thank you very much, and welcome back, everybody. Uh, we begin a whole new season here. We're talking Tuesday broadcast for 2023, and, I, you know, I really can't believe that these broadcasts go back, actually, to 2011, and you've been with me for six of those years, and I thank you very much. Yes, actually, I started on Valentine's Day in 2017, so it's almost been six years. Ah, oh, you stole my heart. Honestly, you know, I can't remember how many years, because it seems like you've always been here for me. Yeah, except I'm not going to be here next week. Yep, we're going to be missed indeed. We begin today with a very special topic, too. It's about DRG mismatches. Yes, Lydia Termakarova from Innova Revenue Group will be our special guest. The first of a two-part series, and uh, next Tuesday, our special guest is going to be Patty Chow, and she's going to report on the coding implications for those mismatches, and what's going to be your talk back this morning, I'm going to start a three-part series on documentation in the EHR and how it's time to reassess. Always look forward to hearing your talk back segments, Erica. Thanks very much, and we begin our news this morning with Tim Powell. He's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. Thanks, Chuck. And today we're going to talk about improving access to specialists. New guidance was issued by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, and the Centers for Medicaid and Medicaid Services on January 5th of 2023 that allows state Medicaid and children's health insurance programs to pay specialists directly when a primary care provider requests their advice. This means that specialists can be reimbursed for their care even if the patient is not present as long as the consultation is related to their care. This new policy aims to improve access to specialty care for Medicaid and CHIP beneficiaries by allowing primary care providers to consult with specialists more easily and linking routine care with specialty care. This may help more people benefit from practitioners with specialized knowledge and expertise. Interprofessional consultations are a valuable tool in improving patient care, particularly for those with complex or chronic conditions. They occur when a primary care provider or other qualified health professional requests advice or input from a specialist. These consultations can help link routine care with specialized expertise, providing patients with access to a broader range of knowledge and experience. This can be especially important for Medicaid and CHIP beneficiaries who may have higher rates of chronic diseases and complex health needs. By allowing primary care providers to consult with specialists more easily, the guidance issued by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CMS may help improve access to specialized care and improve potential health care outcomes. Access to specialty care, including mental health and substance abuse disorder care, can be a challenge for many people. 
In 2019, more than 55% of adults with mental illness and nearly, nearly 35% of those with serious mental illness did not receive care, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. This lack of access can be particularly pronounced for certain groups, including black, Hispanic, and other underserved communities. The guidance issued by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services which allows state and Medicaid children insurance programs to pay specialists directly when a primary care provider requests their advice may help improve access for specialty care, including those with those mental health disorders. And by making it easier for primary care providers to consult with specialists, the new policy aims to improve overall care for these patients. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and the national correspondent for ICD-10 Monitor. It is Tuesday, it's January the 10th, and you're listening to the 536th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by. Today's healthcare world is one of confusion, uncertainty, and noncompliance. During tight budgets, the folks at MedLearn are here to help with the MedLearn Media Resource Center. Keep your team trained and in the know with this web-based platform created to help you make an impact on your revenue without breaking the bank, so you can focus on what matters most, patient outcomes. For a single, low annual subscription, all your teams will have convenient one-stop access to the complete libraries of three trusted brands, BedLearn Publishing, ICD-10 Monitor, and Rack Monitor. One low monthly cost, unlimited access, and all the CEUs you need it's the MedLearn Media Resource Center. Increase your knowledge with workable coding solutions and actionable answers so you can put the focus back on patient care with the MedLearn Media Resource Center. Now it's the time for the Talk 10 Tuesday Coding Report with Lori Johnson. And good morning, Lori Johnson. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica. And Happy New Year to all. While it's not a new federal fiscal year, the beginning of the year brings new CPT and HCPCS codes. There are also reimbursement methodologies that change on January 1st, such as outpatient prospective payment system and physician fee schedule. It's imperative to update your facility-specific coding guidelines to be consistent with these changes. For example, there are some new HCPCS codes, such as C7550, which is a cystourethroscopy with biopsy with adjutive blue light with fluorescent imaging agent, and C7543, endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography with sphincterotomy or papillotomy with endoscopic cannulation of papilla with direct visualization of pancreatic or common bile duct. Your guidelines should address if the coders are assigning these codes or CPT codes. Another issue may be that certain payers may prefer HCPCS over CPT or CPT over HCPCS. Another thought is that some codes may be hard-coded, meaning coming from the charge master, or have to be coded by the coders themselves, and that's referred to as soft coding. Good facility guidelines can take the guesswork out of coding for the coders. Another topic is social determinants of health. Many payers are developing programs for SDOH, such as food security or insecurity. 
The payers are in need of data to identify the frequency of SDOH topics and which patients may be applicable to the programs. Such suggested steps in developing information in your guidelines are, one, to review the SDOH code range, which is Z55 to Z65, determine topics that are higher priority by frequent payers, develop a questionnaire for the info to be, the information to be collected, four, determine if the questionnaire will be part of the permanent record, and five, educate the coders on the SDOH codes to be assigned. The development of this process will require physicians, nurses, discharge planners, and coders then update your facility guidelines. And that will be one step into the new year. And with that, Erica, back to you. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson, Senior Healthcare Consultant from Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. We continue with our series here on Tuckton Tuesday. It's called Journaling John MD. Here now is the Journaling John MD, Dr. John Zellum. Good morning, Dr. Zellum. Good morning, sir, and good morning to everybody else. Happy New Year to all of you, even though we're already well into the way of January. But aside from being a new year, 2023 represents the start of so many things, as do all year beginnings. We always hear about New Year's resolutions of all kinds. The sad thing is, is that most of the time, by the end of the month of January, the vast majority of them have been broken and they stopped. And actually, I've seen so many situations already where they've already stopped. Yet, it's human nature. But why do they not succeed most of the time? It's dependent on how important they are in one's life. But there is another aspect to this. Instead of what is termed as a, quote, resolution, end of quote, I like to to term it as setting or resetting goals for the upcoming year and be more analytic about it. So in order to properly set them, I find a couple of questions helpful. What are you trying to accomplish? What have you tried before? Why did it or did it not succeed? What are your indicators of success? What will you need to do to get it done? And lastly, how will you measure your journey? Many times achieving these goals requires change of some sort, and we all know that change can be painful. How much pain must one experience in order to affect that change? Kind of reminds me of a story. There was a farmer who was sitting in his rocker on his front porch with his good friend, his dog, lying next to the chair. A salesman came walking by and stopped to chat. As the conversation was going along, every so often the dog would raise its head and give the soft howl. This went on for a while, and finally the salesman stopped and asked the farmer, what's wrong with your dog? The farmer calmly stated, oh, he's just laying on a nail. The salesman queried, why doesn't he move? The response surprised the salesman. Apparently, it's not hurting enough. So why do so many people quit their New Year's resolutions by the end of January? Just about 100% of the time, the resolutions require some degree of change, especially as you look at the questions that I asked previously. Is the change worth the pain one has to be experiencing enough to go for the goal with reckless abandonment? Author and life coach Tony Robbins has said, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Once the decision is made to proceed, 
there are six principles to realize. It's possible. It's necessary. It's hard. It's you. It's worth it. And lastly, it's done. So as Nike says, just do it. Will you? Happy New Year. Back to you, Erica. Thanks, John. That was Dr. John Zellum, the founder and CEO of Streamline Solutions Consulting, and he's the physician advisor for Cameron Memorial Community Hospital and Adams Memorial Hospital, both in Indiana. Chuck? Thank you, Erica, and thank you, Dr. John Zellum. Hey, as a program reminder, you're listening to the 536 live edition of Talk to Tuesday, where the time is now 12 and a half minutes after the hour in your time zone. Stand by. Now everyone on your team, on-site or remote, can have unlimited access to every interventional, diagnostic, and nuclear medicine coding resource from MedLearn Publishing. Introducing the comprehensive radiology all-access pass, the must-have solution for getting everyone on the same page when it comes to billing, compliance, and ICD-10 monitor coding. Today, more than ever, the new comprehensive radiology all-access pass makes perfect sense. For a single subscription fee, the Comprehensive Radiology All-Access Pass gives you unlimited access to every radiology how-to resource, e-books, coding charts, live and on-demand webcasts, a monthly e-newsletter, and blog content. And more good news, receive absolutely free hard copy books if you purchase your Comprehensive Radiology All-Access Pass by March 31st. So order your comprehensive radiology all-access pass today. Now's the time for RegWatch, featuring nationally recognized healthcare technology consultant Stanley Nockerson's Stanley, good morning. So when it comes to healthcare regulations, what do we need to know today? Good morning, Chuck, and everyone else on the call. December was a busy month for CMS and the industry for proposed rules and discussions on updating health data exchange standards. Fortunately, the agency has given us 90 days to respond to these proposals rather than the usual 60. So we have until March for commenting on some of these updates. In a proposed rule published in the Federal Register on December 13th, CMS outlined a number of proposals to improve the prior authorization process, give patients information on the status of prior authorization requests, and increase the exchange of information between health plans. These rules apply to Medicare Advantage, state Medicaid fee-for-service programs, state children's health insurance programs, Medicaid managed care plans, CHIP managed care entities, and qualified health plan issuers on the federally facilitated exchanges, but importantly, not to commercial health plans. CMS does not have the legal authority to apply these rules to the commercial health plan space. Important provisions of this rule include requiring these affected payers to automate the process for providers to determine whether prior authorization is required, identifying that information and documentation requirements, include a specific reason when they deny a prior authorization request, send prior authorization decisions within 72 hours for expedited requests and seven days for standard requests, include information about the patient's prior authorizations decisions in their patient access tool to help patients better understand the payer's prior authorization process and build and maintain a provider access tool to share patient data within network providers 
with whom the patient has a treatment relationship. This provides a lot more information to patients as they're going through the prior authorization process. Another proposed rule issues standards for healthcare attachment transactions, which support healthcare claims and prior authorization transactions, adopting standards for electronic signatures to be used in conjunction with these transactions, and adopt a modification to the standards for referral and authorization transactions. Now, attachments are those additional pieces of information, usually clinical data, that health plans may need to make a final decision on a claims payment or a prior authorization. There's not been any electronic standard to date for this information, and much of it is exchanged now through paper or fax or phone calls. This rule will require health plans and allow providers to use a new standard electronic transaction for these business exchanges. Electronic support is expected to reduce cost and speed up the exchange process. The exchange of this information emphasizes the importance of complete and accurate clinical documentation so that can be sent to the health plan by the provider to speed up the process. Now, next week, the National Committee on Vital and Health Statistics will hold hearings on the recommendations to upgrade the electronic claims and remittance advice to the latest version of the X-12 standards. We've gone already from version 4010 to version 5010. We're now looking at uh, moving all the way to version 8020 or later. The industry representatives will discuss the improvements and impacts of the change and provide opinions as to when these upgrades should take place. These hearings are virtual and open to the public. Information is at www.ncvhs.hhs.gov. And, and I want to uh, emphasize the importance of recognizing that these are proposed rules and the public has an opportunity to, to comment. We'll see what the final decision is. Back to you. Thank you, Stanley. That was Healthcare IT Authority, Stanley Nockamson. Stanley is the founder of Nockamson Advisors, LLC. Coming up next, part one in our two-part series on DRG mismatches. Today's lead story is sponsored by HiTex, a clinical informatics organization dedicated to bringing the most advanced technology and people to assist healthcare professionals at the point of care. Find them at HiTex.com. We begin this morning with the first of our two-part series on DRG mismatches. Joining us now is the CEO of Innova Revenue Group, Lydia Termakarova. Good morning, Lydia. Lydia, DRG mismatches, tell us more about this coding dilemma. Good morning, Chuck and everyone. I will ask you, CDI specialists, what they dislike most about their jobs. The most common answer is the DRG reconciliation process due to DRG mismatches. As many as you know, the DRG reconciliation process consists of reviewing the DRG assigned by CDIs and coders to make sure that both final DRGs match. If for some reason they do not match, coding and CDI must work tirelessly amongst themselves to determine what the correct DRG should be. There are about five most common DRG mismatches, principal diagnosis selection, CCRMCC not coded by either CDI specialist or coder, incorrect PCS code assignment, wrong discharges position, or wrong seventh character on an ICD-10 code. When mismatches happen, both teams can come to an agreement to have a third party like coding manager or physician advisor to assist. Unfortunately, when the consensus cannot be reached, it can create friction and animosity between CDI and coder and can lead to rivalry between the CDI and coding teams. 
When we started to evaluate how we can lessen the tension of the process, we started to question, why are CDI specialists and coders spending endless hours trying to reconcile their DRGs? Do physicians' advisors really need to be pulled in to determine who is correct? After all, the job of a CDI specialist is to help the provider to paint a clear, concise, clinical picture of the patient using the DRG and write clinical language to be properly translated to correct ICD-10 codes. And the job of a coder is to assign diagnosis and procedures codes from provider documentation following strict coding guidelines to ensure correct reporting and optimal hospital reimbursement. Is that the job of CDI specialists to know all the coding guidelines? Although it is important for CDI specialists to know the most common guidelines, it is a challenge for even the keenest coder to keep them always straight. CDI specialists should be spending more of their valuable time painting the clinical picture rather than going back and forth with coding as to who assigned the correct DRG. So we tasked ourselves to work on creating a new DRG mismatch process where CDI could focus on improving documentation and coding could focus on coding using latest and greatest coding rules and guidelines. To our surprise, we also found our coders spend about two to four hours per day away from productive coding time on reconciling DRG mismatches. And the CDI specialist spent about the same amount of time researching coding guidelines or other official coding resources to determine who was right. When there was no agreement, coding manager or physician advisor spent their time to break the tie. We also reviewed the organization's coding audits going back a few years and learned that the coding team had 98 to 100% coding accuracy rate consistently. We decided it was time for a change and implemented the new and improved DRG mismatch reconciliation process. If there was a DRG mismatch found during the final coding of an account, the account was routed to a DRG mismatch work queue instead of being sent back to the CDI specialist or coder. Q was monitored by a highly skilled patient auditor with CDI experience who was responsible to determine which DRG was correct and final. That same auditor was also responsible for providing feedback back to coders and CDIs. All this process happened before final bill. As a result of this workflow change, we immediately saw an increase in both coding and CDI productivity, quicker billing time, decrease in DNFB, and the overall morale of both teams was improved and more unified. The administrative team appreciated the results and supported this workflow change, and it was win-win for everyone. Back to you. Very nice process. Thanks, Lydia. That was CEO of Innova Revenue Group, Lydia Termark-Karova. Chuck? Thank you both very much. And be sure to read more about DRG mismatches. It's in today's ICD-10 monitor. Here is Dr. Erica Reamer with her very popular segment here at Talk 10 Tuesday. It's called Talk Back. Dr. Reamer, it is all yours. Thanks, Chuck. When I still practiced clinically, I got a job at a brand new hospital, hoping we would develop our own culture with the staff gelling in an environment of cooperation. Sadly, it did not come to fruition. And once bad habits have become ensconced, it has all been impossible to rectify. We have a very important opportunity right now to address bad habits in the medical record, and I hope we don't squander it. Last year, I had a project to see if readmissions had been causally related to an index admission. 
It almost didn't happen because they allotted a half an hour per record. Depending on the length of stay, the charts range from 400 to 4,000 pages long. The documentation I needed to make my determination likely represented about 20 pages. The ED note, H&P, consults, the progress notes, the discharge summary, and discharge medications were usually all I needed to determine whether or not the standard of care had been met and whether the second hospitalization had been unavoidable. Slogging through the medical record was frustrating and time-wasting. I know you all know what I am talking about because this phenomenon born of equal parts modern technology and laziness is ubiquitous. Here are a few examples of the former. Text only prints on one half of the page, making everything literally twice as long. The past medical history list includes numerous irrelevant, outdated, and or redundant entries. Irrelevant family history. Medications and lab tests with details, instructions, or explanations which are not useful. Social history with entries that do not provide any information, such as not on file. Social determinants of health. Data gathering is important, but it can take up an entire page if each one is explored individually. Pages and pages of medications ordered, and then as administered, repeatedly incorporated in documents. It is bad enough that many of these items are visible when reviewing the medical record in the electronic format. Had I designed the EHR, I would have enabled potentially irrelevant or rarely needed details to be available only upon request by clicking. But it is not always possible to view the chart in the EHR. Payers and auditors may not have access. Printing out or creating unsearchable PDFs can can waste trees and time. January 1st, 2023, the Physician Professional Fee Update took effect. The CPT Evaluation Management Guidelines changed to only consider medical decision-making or time as a determinant for level of service. The goal was to reduce the burden of documentation. In two weeks, I will focus on this piece, but today I would like to suggest that this shift should give rise to a revision of templates. While the IT folks are doing that, Perhaps it would be an opportunity to address some of the other aspects that make the EHR so bulky and end-user unfriendly. Here are a few examples. Have the text occupy the entire page from left to right. Purge all ICD-9 codes for once and for all. Make it possible to default to all negatives without unhelpful expansion. Have a radio button for SDOH, which, which indicates no concerns, rather than spelling out each element individually in the negative. Consultant documents should specify their specialty so they can be identified. Set up the order of the documents in the most user-friendly fashion for your institution. Maybe the computer can alert someone that a lab result, radiology impression, or other study result had already been embedded in a document, so the providers have to consider whether they really need to incorporate it into today's entry, too. Your organization should convene the stakeholders who generate and those who use the medical record to decide what needs to be present and in what format. It is time we demanded the EHR facilitate our doing our jobs. Our primary concern is patient care, and the medical record in its present state does not advance that objective. Next time, we will consider what opportunities the E&M revisions offer us and what changes need to be made to the provider's documentation. It's time for the entire medical record to get an update. 
Back to you, Chuck. Thank you, Erica, very much. And that is going to be a wrap for our 536 live edition of Talk 10 to I want to thank our panelists today. The CEO of Innova Revenue Group, Lydia Cherkova, Lori Johnson, Tim Powell, Stanley Nakasin, Dr. John Sellum, and a very special thank you to my co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer. And thank you, everyone, again. And be sure to be with us next Tuesday. That's January the 17th for part two in our series of DRG mismatches. That's when we're going to be joined by Pat Chow from the Innova Revenue Cycle Group. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. I'm Chuck Buck, reporter for Talk 10 Tuesday and ICD-10 Monitor. Have a great week, everybody. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.